Witch Jewels. Welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland. And I thought it'd be fun to do a short episode of just some cultural observations that I've made. This has definitely been over the years. And in some of my YouTube videos, you might have seen or heard me say some things, but these are our newer ones. And it's specifically around things that confuse Icelanders when it comes to U.S. culture. I do want to say, though, that there are people from other cultures who might listen to this and say, oh, we have that too in our culture. So I'm just saying from U.S. because that's where I'm from, just to give, you know, my point of reference. But I would definitely love to know if where you're from, it's similar. You can feel free to put that in the comments in the show notes of this episode on allthingsiceland.com. But I'm going to share specifically five things and this would be, you know, a little bit of fun, but also I think in some ways enlighten people about how different culture can be here in Iceland regarding some things that for you might just seem ordinary. So the first thing has to do with politics, but specifically the party system, the two party system in the United States. So we're not getting into politics regarding what each of them believes or stands for. It's more about how the system is set up. And fascinatingly enough, in Iceland, there are similarities to the U.S. system. And then I'll, of course, talk about what is confusing. So in the United States, our government is split into three parts, judiciary, executive, and legislative. Iceland does the very same thing. So the head of state, which is the president of Iceland, is, of course, the executive branch. And then the legislative branch is parliament. And the judiciary is, of course, the Supreme Court. Now, what differs or is confusing is that in the United States, like I mentioned, there's the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. On a federal level, that is pretty much the only parties that you can be a part of if you wanted to be in Congress. And even, of course, running for president. And what is fascinating in Iceland is that there are many different parties. It is not to say, though, that there are not parties that are quite large. And one of them, Shelf Studies Flokkerin, for instance, you know, they have a large membership base. At one point, they were like two thirds of the country or something. So it can very much be that there is a really popular party. But in parliament, there are many different parties that make up the parliamentarians and there's 63 of them. And there are even new parties that can be made and have been made over the years even sometimes a falling out from one person in a party and they go like, well, I'll just go make my own party. And they do. And then they get voted back in again into parliament. So it is really interesting that this is confusing to Icelanders. And, you know, when I hear about it from the perspective of, yeah, it makes sense that other parties, and of course, it's not like I never thought that before, but seeing it in action also. And then for parliament, what's really important is that not only do people from different parties have to come together, they have to form coalitions to work together, which, you know, in the United States as well, in Congress, they have these different groups that work together and things of that nature. So like I mentioned, some things that are similar, but then the part that about being split only between these two parties and basically other parties can't really make it into the system without complying into being one of these parties. So if that hopefully that makes sense in terms of what I'm getting at is, you know, maybe you were independent before, but you wanted to run for president or be a part of something. And so you ended up moving into being a Democrat or whatever, you know? 
So it's just kind of like interesting view from the outside of why is it so restricted to these two parties. Number two, which Icelanders are often kind of huffing about when they have to do it in their own country, is the need to put up signs in places or ropes where something is obviously dangerous. Now, I'm not saying every Icelander feels this way. And of course, there's some generalization happening here. But the whole point that in Iceland, a lot of people are, they grow up being exposed to nature that is quite volatile. And so knowing that, you know, maybe you shouldn't go too close to the sea or knowing that there's like certain areas where you don't go close to sea. And I'm actually going to talk about that in the random fact of the episode, but, you know, going too close to a cliff to try and take a selfie and potentially falling off, like things like this, or where it's like really slippery and icy at Gutsfoss waterfall, which is part of the golden circle. And people still like try to walk down this walkway and potentially get injured or something like this is stuff where in the past, Icelanders were like, well, if they get hurt, they're just not being smart about it. But now it's like, no, there's so much more tourists that they have to put up ropes and signs. And people are sometimes just like, seriously, like, of course, don't go too close on to that cliff edge. <laughs> why, why is this a thing? But in the U.S., it is so normal for like it to be the case where there are signs, there are ropes, there's like things are pretty much as much as possible made to be, you know, closed in so that individuals don't hurt themselves. So as much as I might confuse some Icelanders as to why that's necessary, they still end up doing it because, you know, of course they don't want anyone to get hurt. They want everyone to be safe. And it's just not worth it, you know, to let people get hurt if it's something where a rope could help to keep them safe. One thing, though, of course, with the volcano, which we're experiencing some earthquakes and maybe an eruption, who knows, is that individuals there, it's like you can't rope off this place. So you end up having people and we've had stories of people who are like walking on fresh lava and things like that. And thankfully no one got hurt. But if we have another eruption and now that we have more people visiting from so many different parts of the world, you never know the chances they might take. And not having enough Proper gear is another issue. So if you haven't already and you're planning to come to Iceland, I highly recommend downloading my ultimate packing checklist. I'll have a link to it in the show notes as a list for winter and summer. You'll definitely be prepared for what you need to bring because there have been people who were like hiking to the volcano or out in you know other parts of the country. They were not prepared and rescue teams had to come and save them because of exposure, meaning like they were exposed to the elements like, you know, the wind here is really intense, the rain, all that jazz, snow. And especially there at the volcano, like you're hiking up. So it changes in terms of temperature and, and also just various weather. Like Iceland, it changes pretty much every five to 10 minutes in the day. Not always, but it's kind of like that. So keeping those things in mind are really helpful, but Still, it can be confusing to Icelanders and people are kind of unaware of the dangerous things, <laughs> not so much the packing. I think they get that part, but just not taking heed or being, you know, extra vigilant and careful without a sign or some kind of rope to be there to, to stop you from going forward. Next up, which makes me laugh every time, is that it's confusing to Icelanders to talk about cousins, uncles, aunts nieces and nephews. And that might sound strange, but 
In the Icelandic language, they get grouped into two words based off of gender. So frente would be an uncle, a male cousin, your nephew, and franca would be female cousin, an aunt, and a niece. And so when I talk to Icelanders, they'll say something like, yeah, my, in, in English, they might say my brother's daughter. And I'll say, oh, your niece. And they're like, yeah, or my franca, you know? <laughs> and then it might be that they talk about their mother's sister, which is their aunt. But again, franca or the mother's brother, frente. So it often confuses them when having these conversations and then breaking it down into these specific names that we have for them. Of course, they have names for other members, usually extended family members, but those that are, are nuclear, like close, like their grandmothers, Amman, grandfathers, Avi, of course, Mama, Papi, things like that. But it is just funny when it comes to your mother's brother it and, you know, or a nephew or, or a cousin or something, they just kind of get grouped into these two words. And then there are other words for other people that get married in and things like that. So that was, in a way, it's confusing to them about that. And it was confusing to me to hear this because I'm just like, as they're talking, thinking, okay, they're talking about their niece. Now they're talking about their uncle. And now they're talking about their nephew, you know, <laughs> so or their cousin or whatever. And yeah, this is just kind of a fun thing that I often, you know, enjoy while I'm listening to conversation because it reminds me of like sometimes some people just don't find it necessary and that has not come into the Icelandic language as a necessity to distinguish these people like that. Number four, which is really confusing and quite shocking to a lot of Icelanders, is the lack of regulations when it comes to guns. And of course it can vary by state. But when you hear about the gun violence that happens in the United States, a lot of Icelanders are, of course, not only shocked, but they're thinking to themselves, like, why not just make stricter gun rules around the country? And I'll explain why this is something that they personally feel. And it's because in Iceland, there are a lot of guns. You would know this because people don't, of course, are not allowed to walk around just carrying them. But there are a lot of guns here. And I actually did a YouTube video some years ago, about 67,000 guns in the country registered. And of course, you're only supposed to have a gun if it's registered. And so that's a lot of guns, considering that there's 367,000, give or take, people that live in the country. And the culture regarding guns here is that guns are for hunting and for sport. So there isn't a culture of guns being used for self-defense like there is in the United States. So of course that's already like a confusing thing of like, why would you pull out a gun on somebody? You know, like this is, or the need to carry it and things like this nature. So it is really fascinating when I hear this discussion kind of come up and then to actually gain access to own a gun, you have to go through courses, you have to take a test, you have to show that you know how to keep your, you store your gun basically properly, which is in a locked cabinet. Does that mean that there's never any gun violence at all in Iceland? No, but there's so much less of an amount in terms of incidents that happen. And recently though, it's been really interesting that some people started 3D printing guns and that became a problem. But of course, right, because they're not, they're not registered, but it's something where, again, like we don't hear about a lot of shootings and if an Icelander or people, whoever lives here 
we hear about an incident, everyone's completely shocked. And it's, you know, really intense and to the point where, like, there's fear of, like, things changing in the negative direction. Because there are actually gangs in Iceland. Like, I know that sounds weird to say. <laughs> and it, when I heard it, I was just like, what? But I don't know any of these people, but I've just heard about them. And, you know, so there are, of course, people who take measures or do things that, I mean, they're already doing criminal acts. So I guess this is just one more part of it. But overall, with the amount of things that happen in terms of shootings in the United States, how much, of course, it's disproportionate to compared to other developed countries. Iceland is really confused about the lack of regulation there since it's so strict here. And I think people would be really surprised to find out that there are a decent amount of things that Icelanders are strict about, even though overall they are pretty laid back. It's like there's certain things that they take really, really seriously. And then other things like parking on the sidewalk, like no one really seems to care as much. Number five has to do with tipping. And in Iceland, the reason why this is confusing that that happens in the U.S. is because people are paid a fair wage. Now, again, I have to say, is it the case that like everybody's being paid amazingly well? No, there's definitely people who are being paid a lot less than maybe, you know, CEOs of companies or, or individuals who do programming or something. But there is a minimum wage. There are unions in Iceland and it's unusual. In fact, you won't find it where someone who's a waitstaff would rely on tips in order to be able to live, meaning to pay their bills and whatever else. And that is something that, of course, is very helpful for the individuals who are doing that job because that can put a lot of pressure on you and already living in a world where there's a lot of other things going on in the first place. And so Icelanders always get confused too about, and I was talking to some of them about this, regarding the fact that when you go, say in the U.S., if you go to a diner or a restaurant, there is an amount that's suggested, but it's kind of, you know, just like the lowest amount that's suggested. And of course, on some receipts, they have it where it's like 10%, 15%, 20%, or maybe even more than that. And even though there's like, okay, maybe you do 10%, you know, that would be considered low. And so it's like, you're actually expected to pay a lot more. So there's just even like figuring out the right tip and then the idea just in general that people are relying on the generosity of the customer rather than just having a livable wage for their job. This is not to say that tipping doesn't exist in other parts of Europe, but in Iceland, it is not the case where you have to tip. So please don't feel like you need to do that. In fact, if you tried, I'm pretty sure there's many people who would say, no, thank you. I get paid, you know, just fine. We don't take tips. And at the same time, there are, you know, it's becoming more of a trend. And I've been asked this question a couple of times about guides because maybe you really enjoyed your guide and you really want to give them a tip. You can totally do that. But a lot of the time, but a decent amount of tours are, you know, they're a good chunk of change. So it ends up being that there's no like set percentage for you to give to them. It would be if you really, really wanted to, you just, you know, have some Icelandic kroner that you have on hand because Iceland is a credit card slash debit card society. So people aren't really walking around with cash. But again, it's up to you. And the guides are a little bit more used to it. They normally say, well, it will say like, oh, no, you definitely don't have to, you know, but I know for sure that some of them don't mind it. <laughs> Whereas like in a restaurant and stuff, it's a totally different vibe. So that's just something to keep in mind. And these are just some observations that I've made. I mean, there are plenty of others that I've talked about on Instagram and TikTok. 
and places like that. So if you want more fun info like that, feel free to follow me over there. The Icelandic word of the episode is menning, and it means culture. Just because I decided to do some cultural observations I shared with you today. And the random fact of the episode is, unfortunately, a lot more individuals have been getting injured or even killed due to the fact of not paying attention to signage. So, for instance, at Reynes Fiara Black Sand Beach, which is the really famous Black Sand Beach along the south coast, they now have flashing red lights, like an alert system, if the water is like really rough and you should be like extra careful going to it or going near it because there are sneaker waves there. And sneaker waves are in essence waves that they sneak up on you. Like you're not in the water at all, but they roll up onto the sand much faster than you're expecting. And then they can, you know, drag you out and drown you. Someone did die there this summer and there was even a family that died some years ago and just individuals who have gotten really either injured, soaking wet, whatever. So you can still go to the beach and enjoy yourself, but please make sure you're keeping a safe distance from the water. Don't turn your back to the sea and just enjoy, you know, from a distance. And if it's extra choppy that day, like extra windy and the waves, look, you know, particularly heinous, just be on alert because... First of all, you know, no one wants you to get hurt, but there's also not the availability for someone just to come out and help you, mainly because if they get dragged out too, they would also potentially lose their lives. So please be careful out there, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast and finding it to be entertaining and or informative, I highly appreciate it if you're able to leave a review. It maybe takes about a minute or so to do and it just allows other individuals who are looking for podcasts about Iceland, about you know culture, history, language, nature, travel, any of those topics. Sometimes it ends up being all of them when they end up listening to this podcast. But your review would just let them know what they can expect and if it's been helpful for you. Mm-hmm.